This is Live from the Table, recorded at the world-famous Comedy Cellar here in Greenwich Village, New York City. Coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Dog, and the Laugh Button Podcast Network. We have with us, first of all, I'm Dan Natterman. We have with us Noam Dorman, the owner of the world-famous Comedy Cellar, who is always here. I used to own a Bluetooth speaker, but I can't find anyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to focus. Go ahead. Periel Ashenbrand is with us. She is the show's producer. And she also um, is an on-air personality, though I would remind her that she is not authorized to change the topic. She's only authorized to comment on topics that are currently being discussed. James, well, that's the rule, James. James Mattern is with us. He's a comedy seller regular, an, a, a, uh, a native of Las Vegas, Nevada. People actually live in Las Vegas. It happens sometimes, Dan. Actually grow Two million people. Them. They yeah. just, they stay there. They don't commute. It happens, yeah. And they grow, and some people even grow up there, like Andre Agassi. The great Andre Agassi. The lead singer of The Killers. All The Killers. What's his, oh, the whole? Brandon Flowers. I used to work with him, yeah. At doing what? Oh, uh, we worked at a golf course together. <laughs> I mean, is that the last place you think the lead singer, the guy who did Mr. Brightside, would be working? Worked at a golf course. He knew nothing of golf, I think. But it was fun. Oh, that's an interesting story. But not Agassi, and you don't know. I never met Agassi, but that would have been a moment. Yes. I once got in a fight with someone because they said a wrong statement about Andre Agassi. And I didn't talk to that person for months because he was like our home team for years. Well, I read his autobiography and he seems like a really cool guy. The best. Anyway, uh, James has a new special that we'd like to plug that upfront. Thank you. I like a good upfront. And plug. prime time plugging uh, <laughs> time. Yeah, this uh, is like that scene in Annie Hall. Let's kiss now so we can enjoy the meal and digest our food after. Yeah. Uh, so June 3rd, the check spot It is recorded during the worst part of a comedy show when everyone gets their bills and no one pays attention and does math. And uh, yeah, it comes out. It's a black and white. It's like nothing else. It's raw. I, I answer questions from the audience while they pay it's their recorded bills. Recorded where? It was Well, it was recorded at uh, uh, New York Comedy Club, 4th Street. I wasn't in here yet when I recorded it. My bad, guys. But uh, so... And you guys don't have the fuck is spot. going on here. You guys go to, I actually recorded a week after I got passed. I was like, well, we'll see you guys next so week. Should have done it over. I'll, I'll do another one. <laughs> but you guys don't have check spots. We have to go on after the show. OK, can you tell the audience a little bit just in case what the check spot is for those people who might not be? Is familiar? that changing the subject? That's almost changing. No, the I don't subject. think that's changing. Okay, the subject. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, well, it's a tough call. It's a good question. I'll allow it. I did, uh, I did another <laughs> podcast where um, Jared Fried talked about how when you see like a bunch of comics, like a showcase show, it's all a slice of a pie. You might like this piece. You might like that. But uh, the check spots, basically the crumbs. It's like a lot of clubs have young comics do that. No one. I mean, it absolutely can go from the best show ever to sounding it's, like it's, a South Park rally. And the wait staff gives the audience the members bills. the checks. Yes. And then they're being busy paying attention to the check instead of watching the show. Oh, add the tuna salad. The comedy seller oh. does that, gives the checks after the show. Which is spectacular. But very unusual. But unusual because the other clubs want to get it done so that when the show's over, they can turn over the room as quickly and, as And apparently possible. the check spot in like a Jewish, a Jewish audience is the worst because they, they have to divvy up the bill and everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that could like, be. Like a good Christian check spot. One person just pays the bill. Well, that'll be my next experiment. I'll do one show, all Jewish folk, and one the Christian check spot. Yeah, and we'll call it the Hex spot. That's it. <laughs> Are you focused? Are you good? Should I get him first? Yes, sir. Jimmy, you inspiration for other people in ADD? I love that. Whoa, okay. Oh. oh, that got real sensitive. Do you have any other words of inspiration for anyone else who has ADD? <laughs> oh, 
right, guys, I don't remember if I did my ADD joke today. I didn't. I did not. I love that you became the secretary of this Congress. I'm looking over the notes. You did not bring up ADD. You did, yes. All right, red shirt, let's go. Will you sing a Prince song? Will I sing a Prince song? Yes. Yeah. So um, the secretary in the front just goes, yes, and then she starts singing to me, Purple Fucking Rain. As long as we're plugging, let's let's give out our uh, email podcast at comedycellar.com for all your comments, suggestions, constructive criticism, and uh, let us know how we can improve things here at Live from the Table on Rada. I don't I don't mind venomous non-constructive criticism. Actually, I, I like the I like I like people anything that is spleen. helpful to uh, well then it's not constructive. <laughs> I guess you're saying, but yeah. Any anything to let us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong would certainly come in handy. Also, uh, you want to another plug, Perio, or was that it? No, just our. Well, I'm also going to plug my. Moving, come on. I'm also going to plug my book, (laughs) Iris Biro Before COVID. Do you love the world of comedy? Do you love uh, uh, the world of show business more generally? Then you will love Iris Biro Before COVID, (laughs) my novel, available on Amazon. And uh, you can also read four chapters for free on Kindle. So you don't even have to, uh, you know, commit. You can read four chapters. And if you think it's crap, then you don't have to buy it. But it's been endorsed by both Periel and Noah. I don't think Periel read it. Excuse you. (laughs) Periel read the entire thing and loved it and thought it was brilliant and amazing. And we fucking talked about it. Yeah, I remember now. But I, I, I read it like a year before Periel read it. Noted. Noted. Okay. Um, we and have, I, a- and I really loved it because Periel, I mean, she says everything is great. Everything's fantastic. Like, like, you know, there's no, there's no baseline with her. <laughs> so like, what were the odds? She wasn't going to tell you it was great. I don't even really believe she read it because there's typos and stuff in there. She didn't pick up on them. In any case, uh, the typos were changed by the time it got to her, because thanks to people like you and others that told me about these typos, I was able to change it before it, I gave Perry. You know what? And you it, have, I really read it and I really like, you know, what? you have some nerve. Don't talk shit until you read both of my books. I'm not going to read your books. Well, then don't talk shit. Bro, and you can ask books. me any question about the book. And I guarantee you, I'll you were supposed to, to bring a copy in for me, which you haven't done. That's true. So uh, in any case, um, in comedy news before something wrong with my sound. Oh, here it is. Uh, in comedy news before Cliff Nesteroff, our guest comes. Um, apparently, John Mulaney was performing in Columbus, I believe, Ohio, which is near where Dave Chappelle lives. And Dave did a uh, guest spot. He he did like an opening. I don't know how long, 20 minutes, whatever it was. He went on before Mulaney in Columbus and told jokes about trans people because that's what he does very often. And um and as they say on uh, in the in the world of social media, some people didn't like it. How many some people are? I don't know. But there there was a lot of tweets about this. What, what? say a lot? You mean like three, right? I really don't know. Yeah, that's it's probably really number, what it is. Some right? number of people didn't like it. But this is a common theme. No one has been accused of this. Other clubs have been accused of this, of uh, allowing people unannounced to do comedy, people that are controversial to do comedy unannounced. So. Um, this is something that's come up with regard to the comedy seller and Noam. His solution to it was to what? This, my solution was to tell people that we ha- you could swim at your own risk and that 
Uh, if you if somebody shows up, you don't like you can leave and, and the bills on us. That's that's been my solution to it. And you also you also clearly state that anybody might drop by, but anybody might drop by, but drop by. But I mean, are we over this already? Like, isn't this so like five years ago, this whole getting offended is like, I mean, it, it's enough with it already. All Chappelle, right, but- Chappelle said that nobody really cared. Joe Rogan, my goodness, he, he, he compared black people to apes. You'd think that would be enough. To- Rogan did that. Yeah. I don't recall that. Yeah, he said he. Yeah, I'm gonna go protest now. I didn't know this. I'm gonna tweet at him right now. He said he saw Planet of the Apes. He went to see Planet the movie Planet of the Apes. Oh, like a right, black neighborhood. He said right. I saw Planet of the Apes at Planet. Whatever. I mean, and and that didn't sink him. Even among the black comics, it didn't sink him. I think we've really exposed that this whole woke outrage thing is a tiny fraction of people. Nobody actually cares. It's enough with this shit already. When when uh, the Post ran a headline, protesters at the comedy cellar about Louis C.K., there was one woman with a placard and then some woman who lives across the street saw her and came and joined her. That was, and the headline said, protesters descend. I think these were descend. Protesters descend on the comedy cellar. But, but no, you say that, but you yourself have said that you took that um, criticism seriously, that you didn't want to ambush anybody. And so you... Yeah, I take the criticism seriously. That's fine. But but, you know, we always we like that anyway. Anybody's not happy. We don't make them pay. You hear that, America? There it is. <laughs> so do you think Mulaney could have handled it better? No, Mulaney, Mulaney didn't do anything wrong. I mean, if you cared about opening acts, do you realize how many concerts I went to where the opening act, the band was horrible? So can I just get my money back? Because I saw like someone shitty open for Slayer when I was a kid. Like it, it's, well, but you know insane. that going in, you know that there's going to be an opening. In but comedy- 20, 30 years ago, you didn't. You some some Johnny's root. You, you, took a <laughs> you didn't know who these assholes were. And you but, saw but I always just them. assume going to a concert, a musical concert, that there would be an opening act and then I wouldn't like them. That was my assumption. Yeah. In stand up comedy, the opening acts kill. Well, they should. Uh, I think we've all seen where they don't. Some people just bring shitty opening. Yeah, acts. Some people bring really some people bring opening acts that are so bad. I assume they're fucking them like that. No, that yes. Right. Yes. Like nobody would have given her a spot. In the, in the, okay, why her? But, but but no, before we before the, you the, have the, to the incident I'm thinking about was before a, you have to do your before you have to do your usual end of the show uh, walk back. Yeah, I'm going to give you the opportunity <laughs> right now to clarify that men can be sucky comics, too. And was that what you took from that? I was saying women. Are- well, well like- yeah, you said I'm, I assume he's fucking her. Oh, enough. There's anyway- also been where people bring bad acts so they can just go in and be mediocre and kill. That happens a lot, too, where people do not like their their uh, opener to kill because they don't want to work that hard. And so I've seen that a lot. Well, also, yeah. let's spin this out. A man, a Cliff male comic. Here. What? Cliff is OK, here. Hold on. Uh, we should ask him about the Melanie thing, but a ma- well, male let him in. No, just two, two minutes. Just tell him to a male comic would more likely put on a female comic because he's trying to get with her. Right. A female comic, a, a, a female comic wouldn't put on the male. Like a female comic could probably screw the guy she wants to screw. Like that's just the way sex works. It's way easier if a female comic picks out the guy she wants to screw. He'll probably screw her. He's not going to like, oh, well, maybe maybe she puts me his opening. Well, act. What you're saying, that's just real sense. life. That's not going to stop people from from taking offense at what you said. All right. But I just want to say something about Melania. And I want to I ask Cliff Nestor off about it. I'm not ready. So Louis had uh, done something that he apologized for. It was controversial. It was a New York Times article about it. But this is actually the slippery slope I was worried about. So, yeah, maybe you should warn people before Louis comes on because there's a big people are really upset about it. Right. Which I but 
Chappelle, are we ready to say that Dave Chappelle is now the kind of radioactive act that has to be the audience has to be warned? Fuck that. No, that's ridiculous. But also, well, isn't it proto- yeah. sorry, isn't it protocol that you don't necessarily say who the opening act is, but everybody who goes to a sh- big show knows there's going to be one? Sometimes you say, but, you know, you, you might want to warn them if Cosby was going to come on. But anyway, let's let's bring him up. <laughs> All righty. Something to think about. Yeah. Cliff Nesteroff is joining us. Cliff, are you there? <laughs> No, you got to give him a chance to, to log in. All right. Now, he's he's kind of an anti um, an, anti woke, anti anti woke, anti anti woke. Cliff Nesteroff, how do you do? Hi, Cliff. Uh, Cliff Nesteroff. That's me. Called an encyclopedia of comedy. That's what they call him, folks. And his book, <laughs> his book, The Comedians, Drunks, Thieves, Scoundrels and the History of American Comedy, which came That's out in twenty. 20- to universal uniformly positive reviews. I'll tell you this. I know plenty of drunks, thieves and scoundrels. I don't know. Um, are there are there a lot of thieves and scoundrels today in 2022 in the comedy world? You're asking me, I yeah. guess. Well, I mean, I, I don't do stand up anymore, so I can't speak to thieves. But when I was doing stand up, I used to see a lot of dudes doing uh, Norm and doing Mitch Hedberg. It seemed like every open mic guy with no material would just adopt Hedberg's <laughs> cadence or Norm's cadence and get laughs. And it used to infuriate me. And I always thought that that was theft, theft of, uh, of cadence, which is not. Well, even but is that theft, off limits? But... To what extent can you be inspired by somebody and where does it cross the line? Into you can you can tell when somebody is not inspired when they're doing Norm's voice exactly when they're doing Mitch Hedberg's voice. Exactly. It's not inspiration, I guess. You can be forgiving to open micers, but when I was an open micer, I wasn't forgiving to those motherfuckers at all. I was infuriated when people would get laughs they didn't deserve, you know, and I would be, I would sabotage shows as a comic. I would heckle a comic (laughs) if I saw them doing somebody else's act or material and the audience would turn on me like I was the asshole. And I was the (laughs) asshole, but so were they, so were they. And so that shit still infuriates me, but I don't do stand-up anymore. So I don't know how prevalent, I'm sure it's the same as a, it always has. Been. I, I don't see. I mean, I don't hang around in circles where there's people that are very new or open mic level. Yeah. Uh, so I but that may be going on today, uh, but it, I'm at the cellar. So the people that come here are already more seasoned and I'm not seeing uh, too much outright thievery going on. I host some auditions and, and that and I did see some people uh, at JFL auditions that were basically biting people. It was kind of embarrassing. Yeah, a couple of people snuck through the cracks. But I, it I, happens sometimes. I see comics very often. A lot of them, they're so admiring of Dave Attell. They just can't help. That's it. a huge one. They can't help it, but they're not stealing. They just can't help it. It's 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 like a virus. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I host a, I'm hosting a late show tonight. I'm going to be down there with him for like 30 minutes. And it is tough. I've caught myself a few times and I've been doing this for decades going. Eh, and I go, oh, nope, can't do that shit. Can't go down eh. that. Really? Do your dear. Do your, do your. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> by the way, are you familiar with uh, a fellow we had on this show called Wayne Fetterman? Yeah. He wrote a book, The History of Stand Up. Yeah. Now, I'm I say I'm interested in the history of stand up, which, by the way, I'm not. I'm, I'm over the whole thing. But anyway, um, <laughs> and I want to buy a book about stand up and I my budget is limited. I'm a working man. My budget is limited. I have a choice between the, the, the comedians by Cliff Nesteroff or the history of stand up by Wayne Fetterman. <laughs> Why should I buy the your book and not Wayne's book? Well, Wayne's book is a uh, Kindle only. <laughs> so you already have to buy a piece of equipment to read his thing. 
Good answer. Um, and mine, you can get at a fucking garage sale or at the Salvation Army. So, <laughs> also, you can't shoplift uh, uh, Wayne's book because it's a digital format, and you can easily steal mine from any used bookstore. They don't even have little security things at the door. Don't try and steal it from a new bookstore because uh, I don't want to be held responsible. Well, since when do bookstores still even exist? Oh, that's an unfortunate and good point. Yeah, we have a Barnes Noble in my neighborhood. I was just by one today. Yeah, there used to be so many Barnes and Nobles, and I used to spend hours there avoiding my roommate, just sitting on couches <laughs> reading for free, because when I you have a roommate in New York in a small apartment, even if it's a nice guy, you don't want to see him. Enough's enough. Enough's yeah. enough. And uh, I would just hang out at the bookstore because there was a bookstore always nearby wherever I happen to be. And I would sit there and you could read for free and then buy a coffee at the cafe. And now, of course, bookstores are hard to find. But uh, that's where my my French studies started at, at, uh, at the local bookstore. Incredible story. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff, I, like, I already I like loved you guy. in the first five minutes. I love you even more. I didn't think it was, yeah. I love the yeah. book and I love you in every appearance you do. And now, phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Realizing I like steak more than I do. This is. <laughs> Where would you where would you pinpoint the beginning of the art form of stand up comedy? And there were people that like like uh, Mark Twain, I think, used to go on tour and do discussions. And and uh, yeah. I'm getting this from, I think, from Fetterman's book. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you, uh, you want to get really boring about it, sure. Like uh, it starts basically in the post Civil War era. That's when you have an influx of uh, new immigrants and formerly enslaved people who are marginalized from most of society. So Jewish immigrants are kept out of law and medicine. African-Americans are kept out of pretty much everything. But in those days, show business, the stage was considered very disreputable. And if you were in like sort of high society and your daughter dated an actor, that was a reason to disown your daughter. So people that were kind of marginalized from other legitimate professions were welcomed into show business because it was considered the lowest of the low. So Jewish immigrants and formerly enslaved black people sort of uh, formed the foundations of American comedy in vaudeville in the 1870s, 1880s, and 1890s, and then other, other immigrant groups, Italian immigrants and uh, Irish immigrants predominantly sort of formed the foundations of uh, American standup. Mark Twain was basically uh, taking stuff that he had written and then rewriting it to read out loud or perform out loud. And he did it for laughs. So it was sort of like stand-up, but he wasn't performing a circuit, whereas in vaudeville, vaudeville comics were touring like you do the road today. And it was very similar where you're trying to deal with corrupt bookers and, uh, and club owners who think that they know what's funny and are telling I, you what to do. I mean, don't get me started know. on the club owners that think they know what's funny. <laughs> yeah. But I'm yeah. not at so liberty I, to say right now. Yeah, yeah. We all know who they are. But uh, so it was sort of uh, very similar to today, to today, even though when you look at a photo of that era, it doesn't seem relatable at all. Vaudeville seems pretty uh, remote. At the stand, where would we first see stand up that we would recognize today as the kind of stand up we're used to? Where would we when, when would that when would that Pro start? probably more in the 1950s? You know, before that, uh, there were so many comedy teams and most stand up was not even stand up. It was like stand up in disguise. You're your partner did the, the setups and then you did the punchlines. That's how comedy teams were structured. It was like the two parts of the joke were delivered by two separate people. Um, when it became more uh, stand-up stand stand as we understand it, 
and, and not doing street jokes because there were solo comics in the 20s, 30s and 40s, but they're doing sort of generic jokes that were not about themselves. They would say, did you hear the one about the doctor who went to the, the horse races? And then they would tell a joke about the doctor, this nondescript, unidentified doctor. And then in the 50s, Lenny Bruce, Mort Saul, Jonathan Winters come along and they kind of change the art form. Lenny Bruce, instead of talking about the doctor going to the racetrack, he would say, I went to the doctor or I went to the racetrack. He kind of personalized it. And that's how stand-up is today. So in the 50s, basically, is when you start to recognize stand-up uh, in the modern sense. Let's get back to the club owners who don't know what's funny. Um, <laughs> it's just ironic that because you're here because I do think you're funny. <laughs> so it's kind of like, really, it's kind of like I'm the wrong person to pick on about that, right? Like you're supposed, no, to, pick, kind of well, you're supposed to aim that at the guy who didn't didn't book you Look, I'm, I'm busting. or make you co-host of his podcast. <laughs> like, but I, I think you have a point, Dan. <laughs> well, I'm busting your balls because I, I like I to know, bust I'm your balls, obviously. Look, and, and people are certainly qualified <laughs> to say what they think is funny. And doesn't and, everybody know what's funny? Well, yeah. every, everybody what, knows what, what is a stand-up A stand-up show is, is 200 people in a room, and simultaneously, for some reason, they all think it's funny at the same time, or they all don't. And it's amazing how night to night, that opinion is quite often, you know, almost unanimous. It's whatever it is, and, and me as the owner, and the other comics there will also react, I'll watch, the same way as the audience. For whatever reason, whatever the magic is, everybody seems to know at the same time whether it's funny or it's not. Some club owners want to go beyond that. They they have no. They have greater wisdom. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, this guy kills, but there's more. There's more important but, things yeah. than killing. You yeah. know, and and then they try to overlay their personal well, I, I, theories, I, and and that's where they go. But I still think that I I still don't think that there's a perfect correlation between killing and skill. Um, say skill. No, nobody or, hires or, you for or, your skill, or, or, or hi they hire you for your entertainment value, Dan. But I still, Unfortunately. Think, I still think there's easy ways to get laughs and, and, and different audiences react differently. What do you think, James Maddox? Well, I mean, it goes to the point that Cliff's saying earlier, like I could go out and just do a Dave impression and probably kill at a high level consistently. Anyone could probably do that. And I saw people do that. Uh, do we reward them? I mean, do it reward people for just basically stealing? You know, it's uh, that's that's the big issue. No, but that, that's know, why it's, some it's people not... are like, OK, you killed. But if this was like figure skating, you did an easy trick. So you get like a 6.1 while someone else did something wild and you're going to get a but nine. There, there are also easy tricks that don't involve stealing. I mean, a well-placed motherfucker or a well-placed N-word. Well, I'm saying the word, but I'm just saying can sometimes get a laugh. <laughs> no such thing as a well-placed N-word, Dan. Go ahead. Well, uh, you know, anyway, what do you think about yeah, that? It's out of your next book, Dan. Do you think... Uh, audience killing oh, is the <laughs> is the most reliable barometer of a comedian's le skill level. A well-placed N-word is the best way to get the audience to turn on you. If that's no, what no, you're intentionally if, trying if, if to I, do. If I, if I use well it, but I'm saying if a comic that is African-American. I, dis I, disagree, I disagree because I feel like the era of like being shocked into laughter doesn't exist anymore. Elderly comedians used to always complain in the 70s and 80s about Carlin and Pryor and Eddie Murphy. They say, oh, they just use a four-letter word to get a laugh. It's easy. It's easy. If you go on stage and just say, fuck, you're not going to get a laugh anymore <laughs> because it's so uh, common, right? You only got a laugh when it was sort of uh, taboo. So I don't, uh, I don't agree that a well-placed motherfucker is going to lead to a, a laugh today. 
I don't know. Sometimes I'm on stage and I get laughs and I'm like, I don't feel good about this laugh. Wow. But you say that anyway, even when you say things that are actually <laughs> really funny. No, look, look, Dan, I think you're, you're making a point that that an audience that's very unsophisticated or, you know, naive can react to the imitation with just as much enthusiasm as they would react to the original. So when I was a kid, I'd never heard the original Chuck Berry records. I heard like the Beatles version of Chuck Berry records. Now, maybe if I had grown up on the actual records, I said, who do these guys think they are? You know, but that's, that's how people feel. I think a lot about uh, Robert Klein today, because you hear Seinfeld and people talk about how they were influenced by Robert Klein. And to him, he was their Carlin or their prior. Yeah. And I think a lot of young people will watch Robert Klein today and they don't really see anything special there because his style of humor is that what became that popular observational style of, uh, of the 1980s. So I think that's so, true. That so, so, so what happens is sometimes the audience, so, so we'll see, what, like if you, if you imitate like that, we'll consider you a hack. If we know yeah. that you're passing yourself off as, as something, as, then we in the, in the, will call, call you a hack. But that doesn't actually mean you're not funny. The audience is responding to you. They don't know that you've stolen it. They don't know that you're I think if you do, I think if you do stand up long enough for enough years, even with no talent and even without being funny, you'll figure out the magic tricks. But yeah, just enough to just just enough, just enough to sustain yourself competently. You'll get booked to host a show. Yes. And you can you can sort of sustain yourself, but you're really just doing the horse shit. Uh, magic tricks you'll never be able yeah, to go to that next magic level tricks can kill well color by numbers is what i call it there's a lot of comedian by numbers where they just do enough there's not a, an ounce of creativity originality or heart and soul of it i, th- I think the best ex- i think the best example are impressionists and i love quality impressions and if somebody can do an impression i haven't seen before like i'm i don't think it's a diminished style of stand-up i think it's almost a superior style of stand-up gilbert was never called an impressionist, one of the greatest impressionists of all time. Speaking, of course, of Gilbert Gottfried. Norm was uh, a brilliant impressionist, never considered an impression, just another thing that added to his incredible uh, toolbox as a comedian. But there are most impressionists out there are doing impressions of other people's impressions. Somebody cracks the code and then somebody does that code version of, of the impression, you know? It usually takes a year after a president is first elected before all the comedians figure out how to do an impression. When Obama was elected, people were like, oh, there's nothing there. They can't impersonate it. He doesn't have a nuance. And one year later, everybody was going, bop, but up, but up, bop, bop. They who figured cracked out that the code? I mean, do you, who cracked that code, do you know? You uh, well, that? that's, I, I don't know for sure. For me, it was Dana Carvey. He was the one that I heard that really nailed it right away. Other people were browning their face and wearing a suit and calling it an impression, but he kind of hit, hit, found the cadence, the rhythm. I'm sure there's somebody else that would uh, say that they were the one, you know, but uh, for, for years, the, the, the main impressionist was Frank Gorshin, who played the Riddler in Batman. He was the first guy to do an impression of Kirk Douglas, the first person to do an impression of Jack Nicholson, the first person to do an impression of uh, Peter Falk. Some of the ones that became like standard cliches he invented. And I interviewed a guy in his 90s who since died named Will Jordan, who, who claimed to have, have uh, created the impression of Ed Sullivan. In the 50s, all the comedians were saying, really big shoe, really big shoe. And so I interviewed him in his 90s. He was so fucking bitter. He goes, Ed Sullivan never said shoe. I said shoe. Comedians who said shoe were doing me. They weren't doing Sullivan. He was like 90 years old, just fucking seething with rage. (laughs) That that he didn't get credit for really big. I don't blame him. That's like Dana Carvey, who said, not got that. 
And I don't think George Bush ever said that. But no. Carvey said it. And all of a sudden that became people's uh, notion of what George Bush sounded like. I, th I think that's the greatest style for me of impressions, the Dana Carvey or the James Adomian style, where you take the voice and you turn it into a insane character. Um, that also seems to be what people respond to the most. Daryl Hammond once said that people didn't like it when he did certain impressions. I think he did an impression of Al Gore and people didn't like it because it was, in his opinion, too accurate. There was no exaggeration. There was nothing cartoony to laugh at. It was just a guy in a very uh, matter of fact, boring voice. And so it didn't get laughs. Well, I, I think that's true unless the person's voice is already comedic and, yeah. and, and accuracy like like uh, uh, Al Pacino, the modern Al Pacino, the, the post scent of a woman Al Pacino, his voice is so ridiculous <laughs> that an accurate impression is funny, I think. And, and who used to do that? Um, Caliendo. Mm -hmm. Frank Caliendo used to do the uh, and many people have done it. But I, I think in that case, accurate is funny because Pacino was so ridiculous. He became a caricature. I think Jay Moore may have. I don't maybe it wasn't him, but I, I think it was Jay Moore who did like a young Pacino and an old Pacino. The old Pacino right. is the is the hoo-ha. But then the young Pacino has got like a real high pitched sort of voice. What's going on when he's doing Serpico? It's like it's two different people. But, 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 that, uh, but the young Pacino's voice to me isn't isn't as, as amusing because even if it's a perfect impression, the voice itself is, as you had said, the voice itself is not that funny. Uh, but, you know, like, so, but you can steal somebody else's impression with impunity and nobody's going to accuse you of being a joke thief. Well, because people you, don't see that as stealing because they figure all you're doing is imitating the person. So how can you steal an imitation? It's, it, it's such theft, in my opinion. It drives Public me crazy. Domain is how people treat it. Yeah, I hate that. Who started the uh, the walking? Because you bring up more. I know more did that forever. But didn't uh, Kevin Pollack do it? Like, I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, I don't Everyone's know. He did William Shatner for sure. What's that? He did the first William. Probably, yeah. Actually, no, Ron, no, no, Ron no, Darian. Pollack, Ron Darian. Kevin Pollack did Shatner. That's, 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 what, he that's said. what he just said. I'm sorry, I was tuning up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Pick, a, pick your spots. Pick your shoes, baby. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think Kevin Pollack might get credit for the first uh, Christopher Walken. A very dubious distinction at this point. But when I think uh, Jay Moore did it, if I recall correctly, the, the week before or a few weeks before, Christopher Walken hosted Saturday Night Live and Jay Moore was a cast member at that time. And Christopher Walken did a sketch called The Continental in which he played a romantic guy oh, with I a guess, cocktail and a rope. Yeah, yeah. And he spoke directly into the camera and opened the door and said, welcome to my boudoir or whatever. And the sketch killed. And then a week later or a few weeks later, Christopher Walken is, of course, not hosting, but they resurrected the sketch, this time with Jay Moore doing an impression of Christopher Walken doing the Continental. Can we talk about but, SNL now that you brought it up, by the way? Because, uh, James, you... No, I'm you just, I get excited how excited you get, Dan. Oh, I don't get to spend enough time with you and we live in the same neighborhood. We live in the same this neighborhood and we, we met each other and at we got nine. Cliff, who's amazing. This but, is, um, you know, there's this notion that I keep hearing people saying, SNL hasn't been funny in decades. That's and, and Lauren did an interview recently where he was talking about how you can't get away with a lot of the stuff they got away with in the 70s. You can't get away with now. When I watch SNL clips on YouTube, because I never watch the actual show, I think it's at least the past 10 years of SNL is great. When it's good, it is excellent. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything to this notion that it hasn't been good in since decades. They also, they also get, away, get away with more today in other departments than they would have in the 70s. Like they did a, a thing on Weekend Update a couple months ago about uh, abortion. 
there's no way it would have been allowed on network television in the 70s. So there's sort of a trade-off between the things you cannot, supposedly cannot say anymore, and that are sort of traded off with things that you can say now that you couldn't then. Do you agree so I don't with really me that, feel... Do you agree with me that but, SNL in the 70s was just... I mean, I don't want to say it was bad because it was innovative for its time, but it cannot hold a candle to what came later. I cheeseburger, think... cheeseburger, come on! How did yeah, that become I... an iconic sketch i think it's kind of funny dan i hate to admit it i hate to piss in the hat but i i still if i watch that now i laugh just thinking about it makes me laugh belushi's hilarious the, the thing is bill murray made in that sketch the thing that's the thing that's uniform about all of its eras is that you can find a fucking horrible sketch and a fucking hilarious sketch yeah but cheeseburger, cheeseburger is a sketch that it was that is considered iconic for that era and it was to me, it's I, only it's only considered iconic because of the catchphrase. It's not considered iconic because you're rolling with laughter. Um, but uh, I lost my train of thought completely. Oh, for me, growing up in the early 1990s, that was the greatest era of SNL. And Lauren Michaels had always said that, uh, with almost no exception, when he meets somebody who loves SNL, it's the era that they grew up watching that they think is the funniest. But I, oh, that's um, funny. But I, I've heard that said, and I, 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 that era with Carvey and Myers and Harper was great. But the stuff today that they're doing, uh, I don't think it's necessarily better. But it, but it's it's if I'm being objective, even though it's no longer my era, black a good episode of Black Jeopardy, The Californians, uh, almost anything Kristen Wiig does. Uh, I mean, to me, this is amazing stuff when it's when it's, you know, at, at, Chris, Chris, Kristen Wiig is your definition of a modern SNL cast member. I think well, you're I'm like, saying past. Get him, get but, him. but even you're like 15 years behind here. Yeah. But 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 even 15 years ago was well past the era that I grew up with. So I'm saying that I don't I don't fit into this. I'm not saying that the, my era was the best era. I'm saying there's other eras that were great. When I see the I see a modern uh, sketch with Charles Rocket, I get I'm like, this is <laughs> this is the evolution of comedy. God damn it! Look, as you get older, 15 years <laughs> is yesterday, which is why Chris Rock referenced GI Jane and didn't think it was an old reference. But, but this is what you prove that I believe <laughs> Gilbert said years ago because he was in the most infamous worst cast ever the nine or ten episode gene De De that was 1980 yeah in 1980, he goes it hurt for years and then it all runs together and people are like i love you in that sketch with molly shannon dan Aykroyd, and christian <laughs> wig and it all kind of you just proved it right there we all kind of do it i have friends on the show and i couldn't name the whole cast you could make up a name right now but like oh yeah yeah she's great and I wouldn't know that it just comes and goes and it's all just like the same thing. You could tell me Bill Murray came back for five episodes this year. I want to know. You know, it's, they don't do on uh, on SNL anymore unless they have a comic uh, hosting right at, at the monologue. Like Mulaney will do stand up off the top or whatever. But in the 70s and 80s, they would have comedians on as guests the way they have a musical guest. And they would just come out and do stand up. Wouldn't appear in any of the sketches. Maybe they'd be there at the end waving goodnight. Um, but Sam Kinison famously hosted an episode that had a seven second delay, but he did stand up on SNL at least three times before that, just to do stand up. There's an episode hosted by Harry Dean Stanton of all people. And he introduces uh, Sam Kinison and does stand up like an 85 or something. No, did you want and, to ask, uh, oh, sorry, you want to ask Cliff about Mulaney? He brought up Mulaney. I know you had said, uh, you were asking about Mulaney. No, well, I thought you said you wanted to talk about it with Cliff. Yeah, but ask him the same question you asked me. Don't, well, be, don't be a pussy. Let's just make him good, fellas. But I, I you haven't you been said. doing a lot of the talking, so I thought... No, I... I'm, I'm enjoying this. Go ahead, Dan. 
<laughs> well, we were talking before you came here. Maybe you came in at the tail end about. I'm scanning from my Bose uh, Bluetooth speaker. I'm not going to find it. Go ahead. About, go ahead. Uh, you know, the controversy, quote unquote, everything's a controversy because there's always somebody upset about everything. That Mulaney invited Chappelle on to uh, open for open, quote unquote, you know, do a guest spot, whatever you want to call it, at his show in Ohio. And some people are upset about it. But of course, everybody's yeah. upset about everything. But um, because he, you know, with his trans jokes, whatever. So uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I guess it's the open. It's amazing that uh, Chappelle has fallen so far that he's now an opener. But I, uh, <laughs> well, I put it in quotes. Oh. I said, no, quote, I know. Quote. But that's what they, that's how the media reported it, that he opened for John Mulaney. I think that there is, um, I think getting too big is bad for a comedian. I think if you become a huge, huge celebrity, you are more likely to be um, the, the object of ridicule rather than the ridiculer. You know, you're the type of person that would be parodied on SNL. Um, I blame mostly the media. I, I don't really feel that things are as controversial as people purport them to be. I think it's used in the culture war as like a political pawn. And we have allowed, those of us involved in comedy, we've allowed comedy to be exploited as a political pawn by people who have nothing to do with comedy and everything to do with politics. Places like the Heritage Foundation and think tanks, you know, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, uh, uh, Tucker Carlson, what do they have to do with comedy? Nothing. They're not funny. They're, they're not stand-ups. They have no experience in comedy. So why would I take what they tell me about comedy or what's happening in comedy. Well, seriously, I'm not sure what, in any I'm way not sure what you're referring to. What are you referring to with those? I'm guys returning. I'm returning. I'm referring in the last 10 years or maybe five years of trying to pit people against each other. These people want to take your jokes away. These people want to censor you. Therefore it justifies us um, acting in a certain way politically. There's hundreds of fucking podcasts and interview requests that I get to talk about cancel culture. It's a phrase I've never used in my life. And until the media turned it into a thing, I never heard two comedians discuss it in my life. And when I go to the comedy store here or the improv or um, uh, uh, supernova comedy down the street here, the place is packed. Everybody's laughing. Everybody's enjoying themselves. So I just don't see the correlation between the media hysteria and the reality at the, well, at the well, look, I, mean, I, I tend to agree with you that it's overblown, but I can tell you as the as the club owner, when I have to worry about these things, because it, you have to worry about them because people have been incited no, no, by no. the media. No. Yes, there's an incitement so that suddenly you have people feeling entitled to complain about whatever in a way that they may have previously kept to themselves mostly because of the incitement of comedy being used as a political pawn within this greater culture war, in my so, opinion. So, so I, what if I hear you, what you're saying, you're saying that the people who came after Joe Rogan, you blame the Ben Shapiro's of the world for the fact that left-wing people. Were I don't, I don't, I don't even co correlate it as left-wing or right-wing so much as culture war. There are players okay, but, well, okay. who will use you know, you, controversies you, to on, hold on, hold then hold use, go ahead. Just one second. You without, I, if you don't want to use a label, that's fine. But when you, when you say Ben Shapiro, Tucker Carlson and the Heritage Foundation, yeah, that's the right wing. 
that's the right wing yeah. and their and modus the people, operandi, and, and but the their people, modus operandi is, is culture war. So the people who, who they oppose, I'm going to call the left wing. Yeah, but you can be a conservative or a liberal without being a participant okay, in the so greater when, I'm just asking, war. when the liberals came after Joe Rogan, you don't blame... Well, it depends, a, who you, it depends who we're referring to because it's a big, wide umbrella. Well, I didn't so, hear so, anybody other than liberals... So when, yeah. when, when I get so who specific, specifically by name, who, who are you referring to when you say, I don't know, Neil Young or who, whoever was out there. Neil Young. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about Neil Young specifically. No, no, I don't want to talk specifically because I, I do, because that's who the play, when I say Ben Shapiro, Jordan, uh, Peter, Peterson, Tucker Carlson, these are specific players. Yeah. But you were using talk about comedy. Specifically. You're talking about exploiting comedy dude, to further their culture, own political. What is the culture war? But it's a culture war between the left and the right. Correct. Culture war is about dogmatic values. Right, who, who are on the two sides? Well, it depends on what the the, the who's on the other side is. of Tucker Carlson and Jordan Peterson and those guys. Well, let me ask you who who do you know that was besides Neil Young? I mean, people in the New York Times, people on Twitter. I don't know their names. It was uh, yeah, the, exactly. Whoever, whoever it's, sent it's general, whoever sent around exactly, that video. Exactly. Of, that, that's that's sent, you're, you're making you're making the perfect. Uh, point for me. Okay, who, it's who the it, media. So hold it's on. the media. Hold on, hold you on. and I and our general hold interactions. On, don't hold on a second. And don't encounter people like that. At Netflix, at Netflix, there were employees who were threatening to walk if net if Netflix sh uh, continued to um, platform they didn't, Dave Chappelle's they special. Didn't, they didn't I, I'm going to tell, tell, tell you without knowing those people or be able to name them specifically, those were not Ben Shapiro Heritage Foundation people. Those were left-wing woke type people. My, my only question to you is, are you saying, it sounds like what you're saying, and it's, I'm not even rejecting the point, I'm trying to make sure it's what you're saying, that they are essentially reacting that way because of the Ben Shapiro's in the world. Left to their own devices, they wouldn't be offended. They're only offended because people like Tucker Carlson are saying stuff. Because it seems to me, that's not well, the no, I, that I think, people I, are I really think... People are very touchy now. I think the, the, the Tucker Carlson, Ben Shapiro uh, dynamic helps build up a hysteria that would not otherwise be swirling through our consciousness. And they then can use that hysteria to pit it against their adversaries. So but why, were the people, people at Netflix, people, why were the people at Netflix walking 20 out? People, 20 people walking out at Netflix. That's a lot, yeah. Would not be... Um, constituted as the end of comedy. I'm not saying if not, comedy. you're not. But in the culture war, it's being framed that way that this is the end of comedy. They're taking your jokes away. The evidence does not seem to be the case. Comedy seems to be thriving. Well, I, I agree with you, except I agree with you, except and I and I and I'm every time I'm interviewed about this stuff, I kind of say something similar to you. I'm saying I don't really see any evidence. That, I don't know if you've heard me. I'm not. I'm not you know, he, I say everywhere else in the world, I think this is a much bigger problem than yes. comedy clubs. Yes. So, so I, I agree with you. Yeah. However, I do see comedians very nervous about this stuff. And I'm telling them, don't worry about this stuff. When, when Louis C.K. was performing at the club, I had comedians who were afraid, not because they were outraged by Louis C.K., they were afraid to be on the same show as Louis C.K. because they were afraid not of Tucker Carlson, they were afraid of people on whatever you want to call the people who are not Tucker Carlson. Yeah, the internet or, or whatever. And, yeah, and, I that's, and that's self-censorship. 
it's not the end of comedy. Nothing's the end of anything. That's always a, a hy- it's, hyperbolic it's, way of it's, putting it's, it. But, it's, but it's, real, it's affecting people. It's, it's the result. It's the result of a heightened hysteria that to me is not irrational hysteria. And even if somebody protests a comedian, which has happened many, many times throughout history, it does not constitute the end of free speech. So let me tell you where I think, let me tell where I think. Whether you agree with it or not, it's just a thing that happens and has always happened. But let me tell you where I kind of agree with you, but I think for different reasons. There are people like Tim Dillon, Andrew Schultz, uh, uh, Shane Gillis, who, you know, he got thrown off SNL for some old tweet. So these people all are all persona non grata uh, among corporate America, but they're able to do an end run now by distributing them directly to their public. But if not for the fact that YouTube and all that stuff were available to them, then I'd say, yeah, that this is really impacting comedy and further like things like Animal House. There's a whole genre of movies that can't get made anymore. So it's not the end of comedy, but it's had an impact on comedy. I mean, comedy comedy being presented by corporate America is not the comedy that the audience would be happy to see. It's the comedy that they think they can get away with it without getting lambasted on Twitter. That's what's going on a lot. Now, it seems well, maybe- I mean, I, that might be true. Yeah. They might. I mean, it sounds like you're calling them cowards. What's that? It sounds like cowards? Calling, yeah, I'm calling them cowards. I'm calling Spotify was not cowardly. No, it sounds like you're calling those comedians who are afraid cowards. No, because if you, why? Why would you be afraid? You're stand up. Just you know, follow your comic instincts, and I mean, presumably the audience will follow. Coward is a nasty way to put it. I, I, I would call them. Uh, Andrew seems to be doing pretty good. Hope? I think he's. Andrew Schultz seems to be doing good. Andrew Schultz is not a coward. He's fearless. All three of those guys you mentioned are as big as it gets. It is unbelievable. They're doing well. So I don't fearless. I'm not calling them cowards. They 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 said fuck you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say what you said. I want to. You said they were persona. You said they were persona non grata. But all three of them are more well known today than they were ten years ago. Right, but I'm saying they. But Shane Gills can't be on SNL anymore because of what you say is not real. I'm saying. But he, it's because people at NBC chickened out because they found out that he spent 20 seconds doing an Asian accent and they said, we can't, we're going to, this guy can't have a career on, on, on network television. Lucky for him, there's other options. Go, sorry, go ahead. No, you, you, we oh, lost your sound. We lost your sound. The corporate people censored Cliff right there. No, no. No. Plug in for a second. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that. Uh, uh, Shane Gillis didn't get fired. I'm not saying these things, certain things don't happen. What I am saying is these types of things have happened throughout the history of comedy. When Andrew Dice Clay went on a 70 city tour, I think in 89 or 90, he was protested in 50% of the cities where he appeared. There was a picket line, ticket holders to see Dice got into scuffles outside. You know, um, you can go back way to the vaudeville days, the whole cliche of- um, Yeah, but that's, but that's not the same thing. They protested him, but he didn't lose his gigs. Well, there's no social media then, no. I think that's the big thing now. There, there was always going to be protest in that, but now because not, of the social not media, only, not only names protest, and it seems like it's a big huff and puff. Not only did he lose some gigs, uh, he had to cancel a concert in Dallas because the police were going to arrest him. 
All right. Well, that's 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 terrible. Like I mean, like, like it has happened in the past. For I never said it's never happened in the past, but, but in the past it happened. It came from the stodgy right wingers. And now it's coming from the people who used to be the generation that would be. Well, I think most people, most people, pro- people protest different things for different reasons. So people on the right will protest for one reason. People on the left will protest for another reason. They don't uh, replace each other. You know, there's still attempts at censorship from the right. There's still attempts at censorship from the left. Left traditionally or historically tries to suppress what they perceive as bigotry. And on the right, sometimes they try to suppress what they perceive as religious bigotry or fundamentalist or evangelical uh, bigotry. And these two forces kind of hit heads. Wasn't if memory serves, wasn't Dice being protested by feminists and maybe uh we didn't have the term back then but lgbt yeah gay groups aids rights groups and these groups also protested eddie murphy and sam kinnison and if you watch the right uh, but they but these controversy and go back and watch the eddie murphy controversy it's fascinating how similar the two controversies are very 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 similar um, and Cliff, Cliff, uh, I got to interrupt you for a second because I, I really don't understand. It's I, I get, of course, that you can find historical examples of, of all these things, but the consequences to these people were not the same. Eddie Murphy was the biggest star in the world during yeah. this time. Andrew Dice Clay was the biggest comedian in the world. While and, I and mean, the Beatles, the Beatles had protests when they were the biggest group in the world, as opposed yeah. to these people who, like, like Shane Gillis. He was uh, suppressed. You're never going to work here. And yeah. he managed to scrounge it around on his own. As I've said before, the whole, well, like, the, 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 hold on, hold on. There, was a, there used to be a marketing uh, cliche, politically incorrect. Traditionally, you would call your show politically incorrect if you wanted to appeal to a left of center audience. That was an enticing slogan for a left of center audience. Now it's the kiss of death for a left, left of center, or at least corporate america looks at it that way who knows uh, i don't think i don't think that people in general think of political correctness or incorrectness you hear it a lot in, in media and in corporate speak but i don't think that individuals really think in those terms too much um but you have people being fired from movies uh uh there's people complaining about john voigt getting a part lately i read and uh, i mean this is people, it's, people it's, do it's get, a full embrace people, of mccarthyism people do get fired you know jay johnston was a voice actor on Bob's Burgers, Mr. Show. Bob's Burgers fired him when the photo surfaced from the FBI saying this is a person of interest because he was at the January 6th thing. I phoned uh, his partner and expressed my regret that he was fired automatically just based on the photo without any evidence, without knowing, you know? And I said, I don't know, I understand why people are pissed off. Well, not any evidence of what? Huh? What, 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 what difference does it make? What, what was he accused of doing? Um, storming the Capitol and assaulting the police. The photo showed him assaulting somebody? No, you didn't let me finish. I, I just saw the photo and I phoned his partner. I'm friends with them. And I said, you know, I'm really, I don't think it's right that Bob's Burgers would just fire him. You know, it doesn't seem like... Um, it doesn't seem like legal that they could do that, you know, without evoking some sort of morals clause and having some sort of evidence. 
And then a month later, I saw the video in which he literally goes inside the Capitol, steals a shield from a police officer and starts beating the guy. And I was like, okay, it's gonna get really hard to defend or, or stand publicly by my- um, Right, but my that's not why he was fired. It was, well, he was fired because he was there, yeah. No, he was fired, right. He, he turned out to have done all those things. So I suppose- I'm he, not was sure. he was fired on the presumption that he had done those things right. without the evidence. And then a month later, Right. So, so what I'm saying is that the fact that it turned out later on is, is, I mean, it's, it's kind of irrelevant to the story that it turned out he really did it. They you have to judge them on what they knew at the time. Yeah. I didn't think he deserved to be fired out of hand just for that personally. But, but I'm, I'm, also very prejud fired. I'm also prejudiced because I'm friends with him. Maybe if I wasn't friends with them, then I wouldn't even think about it. I don't Look, know. I, I, I get the feeling I've heard you before that, that you're resisting, that you resist acknowledging that we're living in a new more censorious time than well, I, I don't, I don't agree. Well, I like to distinguish and, between stand-up and, and Twitter and, and stand-up yeah. YouTube and stand-up and podcasts. I feel That's like stand-up is stand-up. So I just have to tell you, in the 41 years that I've known the Comedy Cellar, half of that time running the Comedy Cellar, the last few years is the only time I've ever had to deal with this issue at all. And I deal with it fairly regularly. Yeah. So it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't line up with my real life experience to say that this is nothing new. Yes, you can point to something that might've happened here and there, but this is a new time. It's not the end of comedy. You can, you can, you know, blow the thing up into some, you know, ridiculous accusation. Then it's easy enough just to dismiss it. I would never say it's the end of comedy, but it's real. It is real and it's coming from the left or whatever you want to call these people. And I mean, why can't we acknowledge that? What do you call it when you say it is real? What do you call it? There is a cloud that- Because I can acknowledge that it exists strictly or specifically as a result, in my opinion, of social media. I feel like that is the variable that did not previously exist. Oh, and absolutely, absolutely, 100%. I don't think it is the general attitude of the individual that has changed. I don't think it's comedy that has changed, even though some attitudes, you know, they shift, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. But really to me, it's like social media that is the inciter and um, polemics who, like to incite, you know, kind of help play into that. In terms of Shane Gillis, I think that corporations, they don't have any ethics, you know, we know that. Yeah. So Comcast- well, I own a corporation, but for the most part, I agree with you. You know what I mean? Comcast who owns NBC. If Lorne Michaels had used the same racial slur in a podcast, there's no way Comcast would fire That's Lorne right. Michaels. He generates too much revenue for the corporation. Shane Gillis had been hired five days earlier he had generated zero dollars for the corporation so the corporation can pretend to be taking an ethical stance and fire him that's how corporations operate couldn't um, agree with you more but i, I so, would say that but but yeah. just 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 to put a cap on it the beauty for me about stand-up and um i'm sure shane gillis finds this and anybody gilbert or anybody else who gets in trouble for any reason you always have stand-up. You can always go back to stand-up. 
podcasts aren't stand-up, social media isn't stand-up, doing a TV show, unless you're doing stand-up on TV, but even that is not really stand-up stand-up. The club is stand-up. And all of us who ever did stand-up and auditioned for shitty commercials or got fired from a TV show, it sucked, but then you went on stage that night and that's all that matters. And to me, that's what needs to be examined. And I know you're saying you're getting the pushback in the club. You know, at the start of this podcast, I put down uh, club owners, <laughs> but uh, I just don't think that the hysteria in, in either regard that comedians are out of control or that the opposite, you can't say anything anymore. I don't feel that either is true. And the media, I think, helps build it up. And when Howie Mandel comes out and says, it's the end of comedy, I'm like, what? You can't put a glove over your head anymore? What are you talking about? <laughs> it just does not seem to correlate to common sense, in my opinion. You know? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't hugely disagree with anything you said. I would say, yes, uh, uh, it, social media is a, is a fuel to this. However, so is, and it predates social media a little bit, at least predates the, the real ubiquitousness of social media. This kind of uh, trigger warnings and this heightened sensitivity that we really began to hear bubbling up on college campuses. And there's many generations of these- Which college campus? I don't, I don't know which college campuses. I'm, you, 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 you certainly don't not know what I'm talking about. The well, Ivy League, elite, elite, Eastern, elite Eastern schools. I'm sure it's not a uh, University which of uh, Austin. Columbia? Which huh? One? Which one? Oh, Columbia, which one? Yale, Harvard. I mean, you could, if, if you Google, uh, um, there's all sorts of professors who have done interviews talking about how they were afraid to say the wrong thing to their students. Because and how many of them are not on the payroll of a think tank? How would I know that? I don't know. Well, exactly. You got to look into this shit. I don't think the generalizations are helpful. Well, I speak, uh, I speak to college kids who tell me about this. We had a comedian, Nimesh Patel, who's a regular comedian well, here. Well, you know, and, and Howie Mandel said that comedy has ended. So you're going to take the word of the college student. You're going to take the word Dude, of Howie we had Mandel. We had a comedian, Nimesh Patel, who went on stage and told a joke which, if you listen to the joke, was 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 a pro I love Nimesh. Love Nimesh. Was a pro black joke. He was in the middle of the joke. They cut his mic and threw him off. Threw him off off the stage at Columbia. I mean, what is that? I mean, it's shit. But, so, is, but it, is that a think tank? Is, you got an excuse for everything. Is that a think tank? That was that was the students saying, "We don't want to hear your edgy jokes. We can't bear to hear it." This is I'm, we're not making I mean, this I've been, stuff I've been up. Thrown, as you can probably tell based on my uh, distasteful personality, I've been thrown off stage many times, but I don't know that it was indicative of a greater movement other than the fact that the audience was drunk and hated me and I was fucking digging in, you know? Yeah, but this when, is not an isolated case. Well, that's just it. When, when you're, I, I don't see the evidence of a, uh, of a greater movement, you know? I feel like there's probably more good shows than bad shows when you do stand-up on a college campus. But would you say I, that, that the like same this. thing could have easily happened 20 years ago, back in the Kristen Wiig era? <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was 72. Will you stop confusing this shit, Dan? I think, I think one of the most important distinctions is to also acknowledge that at least today, comedians don't get uh, arrested for doing stand-up. And there are some comedians that, like I said, Andrew Dice Clay 
they were going to arrest him in Dallas in 1990s. So they canceled the show rather than take the, take the risk. <laughs> 1990s, not Lenny Bruce's era. You know, it's fairly recent that that right. was happening. So and now so that, that was the Deep South. And now we're all the Deep South, right? That's what that's like. Andrew Dice Clay was not going to get arrested in New York or in, in Boston or in any. He got he was going to get arrested somewhere in deep Texas in the 90s. Texas then wasn't even what Texas is now. So that kind of censorious culture has now spread to all 50 states and it's spread from these, you know, right wing well, people that, to college so, campuses. That, that seems, and, that's, and by the way, none of this is controversial. You read John Haidt, read Greg Lukianoff, read the, you know, subscribe to the fire website, you know, foundation, foundation for individual rights, individual rights and education. There is anecdote after anecdote, after anecdote, books written about this stuff with, okay, with and how much scores, of this is, under, of how much of it, how much of it is underwritten by think tanks? How much money is supplied by heritage foundation, Cato Institute, Manhattan. You Institute, sound like one of these Heaven vaccine deniers. I have no idea. You why don't, why, why wouldn't you look into it? Why wouldn't you look into? No, you, no, because that's the, you, the you have the, that they put forth. No, what do you well, hold on? Hold on. This is very important. Right. You need to say, no, no, I'm, I looked into this. This is being in the underwritten and, and distorted by these think tanks. Just the fact that you came up with a question, you how many of it, you can say how much of it was underwritten by Tucker Carlson? I don't know. I've never heard anybody say that it was. I've never well, seen that accusation. The, I've never read an article. I've never heard anybody. Hold on. I've never heard anybody posit. I've never heard anybody. I've never heard anybody posit this fact one time. Asking a question is not an argument. Do you have any evidence this is underwritten by think tanks? Yes. So, well, then, 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 then so don't play games. Tell it. Go ahead. <laughs> not playing games. Well, oh, you're Lord. just asking me like how you, you ask me. You don't think I really know how much of, I'm going to tell you six. Like, you know, I don't know the answer to that. We speak in generalizations. It only feeds the, the nonsense of the hysteria. If we get specific, then we can have like honest debates about Throw it. your so facts on the fire here. What do you know about the think tank involvement? Fire. I'd have to look up fire. I no, on our, like, like you think, all right, I, I don't know where to go with this. I'm, I'm saying you're asking questions. It's almost like you're asking me to prove a negative. I have no idea what you're referring to. And if you can tell me what you're referring to, I'm all ears. I'm curious. I feel like a lot of the editorials that um, go, on, go after college campuses specifically are generally generated by think tank propaganda. So the Koch brothers underwrite a lot of, um, college campuses now, they'll contribute enormous amounts of money, but there's a rule that you have to teach specific courses a specific way and not teach other courses. So it's pro-business, it's pro-corporate deregulation, the philosophy of, of Hayek and Ayn Rand, you know, there are certain uh, qualifiers in exchange for money. And so- uh, I've seen the Osama Hayek's movies and I don't- uh, <laughs> So you're saying that these trigger warnings and these rooms and the coloring books and all this stuff, this is somehow think tank. I, no, I think they, I think they find the things that are the most easily exploitable for a general audience to look at and go, yeah, that does sound like lunacy. Yes. These people are out of control. Yes. We need to get rid of them. Yes. We need to mark the left is out of control. We do need to suppress them. We need, you know, to me, it, it's uh you find the most vulnerable example that you can find and then exploit it to justify your own. Now, can I ask you a question about the comedy seller specifically? Yeah. Uh, in, terms of the, right. in terms of the emails that you're getting, yeah. 
how many emails do you get complaining about comedians saying things that that uh, that they think crosses the line? No, I said we we don't get that many because I believe that the comedy club audience is already self-selected for people who are not that uptight about hearing comedy. So I don't I don't think in the clubs, especially in a club in, in New York, this is the problem. I, I do get one or two a week and they're they're usually ridiculous and, and quite often people actually take the opposite meaning of the joke. Like somebody was somebody was trying to make fun of conspiracies. Every time. Somebody was trying to make fun of conspiracies. I was like, yeah, and the Newtown kids never got shot. You just hear so, buzzwords, and so you yeah. just so go with it. Yeah. How could you make fun of the poor kids yeah. in Connecticut? I'm like, no, they weren't making fun of the kids yeah. in Connecticut. Was, I think Every Ian time. Finance. He was making fun of conspiracy theories. Every time. So it's like they, they, they're just like a hammer, you know, looking for a nail. But in outside the clubs, in more corporate environments, um, I think there is hyper fear now. And I, and I, I don't think the comedians are cowards. I think the corporate own leadership are cowards. And I do think it's beginning to, the ice is beginning to break on that because they begin for me. I'm a coward. They begin to see a few people (laughs) they've seen already in the last couple of months, a few people like Chappelle and um, what was the other? Oh, and and Joe Rogan that the, they, they, their uh, corporate bosses stood by them and nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. And perhaps that would mean that if this happened, Next year on SNL, maybe NBC wouldn't have caved on Shane Gillis. Well, Shane was unlucky in the fact that he got announced as a cast member with the first, I believe, Asian man who also happened to be gay. And the words that they went and caught Shane for were Asian and a gay slur that is no longer allowed. Uh, I love Shane. I don't think that Shane is that guy at all. I was there in JFL when he got basically the set of the festival. No one gets anything at JFL anymore. And people were talking about him. I was hosting another show and I heard word he's I mean this he's not him but they he had the bad luck of someone wanting to do gotcha and going oh you said that word and that word well here's your other castmate he had that horrible bad luck yeah. also are we gonna talk about Neil Young because I have some real thoughts on the trans record I really been holding it for 20 minutes and I really think we want to get to that can I yeah I want, you want to say about Neil so well, I was just joking I was sitting oh. on that joke for 20 minutes it didn't so, as hard I will, as I wanted I will but tell you God damn I'm glad I had the balls to do it I will not be fucking censored uh, we have to wrap it up I'll tell you a great Neil Young story so I just by coincidence by total coincidence not because of any political connections I find my, I find myself at a table with Michael Cohen you know the the Trump uh, uh, fixer oh yeah and and he was telling Trump stories. And boy, he hates Trump, right? But he, you know that Trump is a huge Neil awesome. Young fan. Used rock in the free world initially, and and then Neil did the uh, the uh, cease and desist uh, with that. It was crazy. I am the biggest Neil Young. Neil Young's my favorite Trump, musician ever. Trump. He took he, Trump took his whole staff to see a New York yeah. concert, and Trump's there. Cause only love can yeah. break. And can you imagine Donald Trump loving Neil Young? It's it's crazy. It, it's surreal. Yeah. I love Neil Young. My special, it's two different sets. I'm where I'm kind of, I'm not nervous, but uh, comedy fans tend to be like pro Joe Rogan on that. And a part of me is like, oh my God, I'm wearing a Neil Young tonight's the night shirt. Are I, people going to attack me uh-huh. and call me some liberal commie because I'm, because I love the freedom record. I mean, it's just what it is. By the way, if you, if any musician that you had said, can you imagine Trump as a fan? I would say no. Because I don't see, Trump, I, don't, I, don't associate, I think you'd like Loverboy. I don't associate Trump with music. Well, yeah, but Neil but Young is poetry and maudlin and sentimental. I'm trying to figure out what music Trump would like, and I'm drawing a blank. I would, pick, I would picture Trump I, as like a as a like a Sinatra guy. 
That's pretty do, clear. Do you, think, do you think he likes Neil Young's music or do you think he likes his fame? He loves Neil Young's music. According to Michael Cohen, I have no independent knowledge. <laughs> no, no, Neil talked about it. That that he used to, he's met him backstage a million times. Loves Neil. He's he's a Sugar. rock guy. Sugar Mountain. <laughs> Terrible impression. Yeah, if I was a good impressionist. A good obscure song to go with, Dan. <laughs> yeah, it makes good, me Dan. love you even more, Dan. Everyone's getting more love from me. It's absolutely fantastic. Harvest Moon. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was really that was good. <laughs> do your Chris Rock. I heard you got rah. <laughs> I, I don't do impressions, uh, Cliff, as you have it, noticed. It sounded really. a little bit like Casey Kasem, that Harvest Moon uh, cadence. Casey Kasem, is there any way he wasn't going to get the gig doing America's Top 40? <laughs> I mean, he walked in, he says, I'm Casey, and I'm here to watch. Yeah, you got the part. You got the job. You guys have heard the famous Casey Kasem outtakes. The greatest. Oh, the one with the dog? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's good. What is it again? Where he's yelling because somebody, he had to do a dead dog dedication, and, and they started with an up-tempo song, and he goes, and, he, and he's ranting about it. An <laughs> yeah, up-tempo yeah. song. For a dead dog dedication. It was uh, where the streets have no name by you too, and I believe they took the audio of that. There was like a there was like a late '80s, early '90s noise punk like like Negative, Negative Land. Land did it. It was like a it was a it was like a college radio when that existed hit, and it was something I grew up like liking in that. It was weird, but it was yeah huge. It's weird they had bands like that, Art of Noise and shit. Yeah. This this yeah. new standard that the boss can never like lose his shit and rant, or that you know every 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 employee with a complaint is it has a has a legitimate point. This has got to stop. I mean, this is this is just ridiculous. Well, leadership always there's going to be parts of it. It's just someone's. I I, I it's weird because I was just talking to someone about the Bill Murray thing. It, it's hilarious that they're saying like Bill Murray is like troublesome on set. You know, like 20 years ago. Uh, I love Gene Hackman. He is a known cranky pants and asshole. And a Royal Tonnebaum's people were terrified of him. They had Bill Murray would show up on his day off, Bill Murray's day off, to protect everyone else from Gene Hackman. Oh, my God. He would come in. Wes Anderson, who's done like a thousand films now, would shake around Gene Hackman. And would he begged Bill Murray to come in. And so, Bill, of all, you think about that, Bill Murray's your watchdog. is just coming in there, like the big chest and shit. That's hilarious to me. And now... He's problematic, but like great artists are always going to have moments where shit comes out. And the best that, one is what what uh, Bill O'Reilly wasn't that like? A we'll do it live. <laughs> yeah, but everyone has moments. I've had moments, and I'm nobody, who hasn't lost I, their I, shit. But you know what? I only time I seen Noam lose his shit was against our dear friend Aruba Ray. Oh, that was the worst. When was this? Because he threw me under the bus, Ray Allen. No, I don't want it. Oh, the Ray's worst. Here, I'm just saying that's the only time yeah, I ever that, saw that made me so angry. Now it's time for your receipt. Get it out yeah. now. But uh, in, in general, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure to be a boss. It is a fucking lot of pressure. And, you know, sometimes sometimes you lose it. I mean, I'm not defending people who mistreat employees. That's terrible. But there's a fine line like with sports, too. They get mad at coaches. I mean, can coaches not yell at players anymore? I mean, that, that also used to be a lot of fun when I'd see Billy Martin yelling at someone when I was a kid. That's I mean, I've, awesome. had, I've had untold incidents where employees lost their shit and employees went into meltdowns and employees were screaming, employees were ranting. And I would never think that this was like something I could use against them or would want to use against. It was like, that's what happens. Uh, you know, things got hot and somebody lost their temper a little bit. How do we, anyway. how do we, oh, with, uh, with, uh, uh, Casey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's how we started. So anyway, um, we have to go. You're not in New York, right? He's in Los no, Angeles. I'm in, uh, beautiful Hollywood, USA. That's a nice looking apartment. Uh, you should come to the cellar some night. I would love to. I haven't been there since before the pandemic. Last time I was there, sort of like bittersweet memory now, was with Gilbert. 
Um, we did an episode of his podcast and then Jeff Ross, I guess, was I think he was doing roast battle that night at the cellar and invited Gilbert to come down. And so when we came down, the show was already in progress. And man, what a cool memory it is to walk into the cellar when it was packed all the way up the stairwell, crammed with people and to walk in with Gilbert in front of me like the Red Sea parted to let him through the club, a chair materialized from nowhere for Gilbert, mm -hmm. not for me. And, uh, and <laughs> I'll tell you what did materialize a tip when Gilbert's involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gilbert sure got not. fired, right? I'm sure not, but That's it's what? a great, but it's a great club and I had a great I'm time there. Thank you very much. And, and yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I do appreciate your, um, kind of a, approach of, uh, you know, deflating this a little bit because it is exaggerated and people are over the top about it. But I would only say that as someone who's on the front lines of it, it's not nothing as you seem well, to Well, and as somebody personally, I don't, I don't feel the sensation of being offended. I never have. And certainly not in comedy or anything else. Yeah. I've always considered myself, and I'm sure everybody here too, opposed to bigotry. And I just feel that certain types of protest are not necessarily equal to other types of protest, but everybody's free to protest and protest is not necessarily the same as censorship. Yeah. All right, I have to go, I just realized, why didn't they take the amps down, Nicole? Tonight is music night, so Noam has to go down and play yeah. his guitar. Noam is, he's very unassuming. You wouldn't know what to look at him, but Noam is a very, very talented guitarist. He's also an oud player. I don't know if your oud is fixed or not. Yeah, well, no. I, I just, <laughs> Cliff, I'm uh, so glad you finally agreed um, to come on video. I hope too. your experience was a good one. Noam, you're not the first guest under whose skin Noam has gotten. <laughs> I got under your skin? Well, I'm assuming you did. You must have. I got to go. I'm go. just going to listen to Neil Young. Okay, you podcast at ComedyCellar.com. Follow us on social media at Dan Natterman. Uh, v. James Madden and June 3rd, the check spot special on YouTube. Me doing stand up, the worst part of the comedy show. The check spot, me doing a Q&A. I'm very proud of it. I was told not to put it the fuck out, and I did it. Just like Neil Young's trans album. I told you I had goddamn opinions Please, on that record. Cliff, Nef, Nef. And where can we find you, Cliff? Uh, you can see me in the new Judd Apatow documentary, George Carlin's American I just Dream. finished. Nice. It was wonderful in it. And it's a great goddamn two for two. Wonderful documentaries by Judd Apatow about comics. It Comedians. Was spectacular. It was Comedians, spectacular. Drunks thieves and scoundrels and you can and, and i would suggest buying that and wayne fetterman's book why not why not get both why not? Wayne in, in, Fetterman's why not why not oh that's a pretty good wayne fetterman impression an excellent wayne fetterman hey, impression. Why, why get them both hey i'm just saying get both basketball just saying well done well done right. good uh, wayne fetterman impression we thank you so much we'll see you next time at live from the table bye-bye bye everybody bye. Bye.